Good morning, it's Friday the 7th of July and I'm Govind Raj Aithiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital and most rocking city in the world. Our top reports and themes for the day and there are quite a few. India's latest big bang electronics projects, where will they land? Tata Steel sacks 38 employees, sets a new benchmark for disclosures. Mark Zuckerberg and Meta launch Threads, a Twitter alternative. It's already 10 million downloads and counting. And hmm, IVF clinics are under the taxman scanner. And finally, the CEO's diet, the how and whys of breakfasts in our busy lives. This is a core report with Govindraj Atiraj. Tata Steel has 65,000 employees in all spread out across five continents. It's the 10th largest steel producer in the world and makes around 34 million tons of steel annually, figures as of last year. Sacking 38 employees in that context for a company of this size should not seem like such a large number. Though do note it is sacked and not laid off. The company's chairman N. Chandrasekharan told shareholders at its annual general meeting on Wednesday that they had sacked 38 employees for breaching the company's code of conduct. Of these 38, 35 were apparently suspended for unacceptable practices bordering on ethical issues and the other three for sexual misconduct. Tata Steel took this action against its employees apparently based on complaints received by several whistleblowers on issues such as misuse of authority, conflict of interest and contract management agreements. The Times of India reported quoting the company saying they received 875 complaints in the last fiscal year of which 158 were related to whistleblowers, 48 were regarding safety and 669 were on HR or human resources and other behavioral issues. Mr. Chandrasekhar apparently said it was a good thing and this is because of the open culture created by the company. He added that the companies are encouraged to record their grievances. As a company, we are a global benchmark so we will continue to push the culture where we uphold the highest values and have a zero tolerance policy, reported the Times of India quoting Mr. Chandrasekhar. Just a few weeks ago, six employees were sacked at IT major Tata Consultancy Services, a group company for accepting favours from certain staffing firms in the appointment of contractual workers. TCS had also informed its board members with details of that development and its version of it, a point we discussed in the core report a few weeks ago. So the Tatas are evidently going all out to disclose even before asked, or so it appears. And the reason I say this is, companies are usually wary or find it unnecessary to discuss sackings of this nature and surely don't announce them unless they feel that word might get out either way. Now, companies might feel, and rightly so, that the matter has been addressed if such a thing were to happen internally and to everyone's satisfaction and conscience, moral and corporate, and therefore it could be laid to rest. Maybe Tata Steel felt, as I said, that word might get out, but this is still extreme disclosure, if such a term could be used. Though I should quickly add that there is nothing like more disclosure and surely there is a problem with less disclosure. Such announcements would obviously put all employees in large conglomerates like the Tatars on alert and drive home through one example, being this one, the larger culture of the organization that's being created or built. Now to give you some context again, the Tatars have over 935,000 or close to a million employees across the group. Coming back to Tata Steel, it also said that they were looking at organic investments and inorganic acquisitions to achieving its 2030 target 
of 40 million tons of steel in India. India's new semiconductor and electronics announcements, where will they land? The sector that has perhaps the most interest and intrigue is semiconductors and electronics manufacture, given that investments in this space also signify and are often geostrategic, apart from being business critical, almost like oil, unlike some other areas which are important and job creating, but less strategic. In the last two weeks, we've seen two announcements of consequence in this space. The first by semiconductor major Micron, where it talked about a 22,500 crore rupee investment in a plant in Gujarat, in Sanand, and specifically for a chip manufacturing assembly. And the second from Google, saying it will bring production of its Pixel phone to India. For various reasons, Google has been on and off on this proposition, and presently it seems to be on. But in general, Action in this space is hotting up ever since Apple said it was stepping up with major investments on the anvil and some ready to go, including, of course, back to semiconductors, Foxconn, who will invest with or without Vedanta, as is being reported. To get the latest insights on what Micron's investment could translate into and a technical breakdown of this project, as well as others lined up, I caught up with Neil Shah, Vice President at CounterPoint Research in Mumbai. So with respect to semiconductor manufacturing, obviously the first step is government has started with the semiconductor PLI scheme, which is production link incentive. And then there's a design link incentive. So both are very important for the semiconductor manufacturing as well as uh, building intellectual property over here, designing chips, designing the software for the chips, right? So 70% of any chip, right, is a software. And anyways, we are doing a lot of software development for top chip manufacturers, global chip manufacturers in India, right? AMD, NVIDIA, Qualcomm, MediaTek, a lot of them have R&D over here. Either they are largest or the second largest. We are quite ahead on that trend. Only thing when it comes down to actually manufacturing or assembling or packaging the chips. When you talk about chips, it could be a processor or it could be some peripheral ICs, which is like for a Wi-Fi IC or a display driver IC and so forth, right? So when you go to the next step of a component, which is very important in any electronics product is the memory. The memory are again up two types, which is a DRAM and a NAND flash. NAND flash stores stuff. DRAM is more for, uh, works as a RAM. So these two are also important semiconductor components. And Micron is one of the leading companies which manufactures both of these, DRAM as well as NAND flash. What Micron has announced here is to set up a ATMP facility, which is more of assembly test and packaging facility. So what happens is the wafer is produced and then wafer is converted into small bits. And those bits are packaged together into different layers to form a memory. And that front-end process, it is called a front-end process, that is not happening in India. But the back-end process, which is after you get the wafer, etched wafer, everything together, and then how you package it together into the black small chip. That back-end process is coming to India first, not the front-end process. The front-end requires a full-blown fab. So that is what is happening, and it's a great first step to start with back-end. It's easier uh, for India to attract back-end processes or for manufacturing chips or memory semiconductors, and then you can attract more of front-end process, which is the actual fab for either memory or for chips. Right. And the Vedanta Foxconn, around which reports are suggesting that there may be some doubts about that relationship. What was that venture? That was going to manufacture chips specifically, isn't it? Front end. Yeah, yeah. So that is 
pure front-end manufacturing and maybe they would do some back-end packaging as well with some ecosystem partners around it as the ecosystem developed around their facility. I would say rather than was, it is still on. So we had a good conversation with the CEO, David Reed, at one of the conferences in Bangalore three weeks ago. And he was the part of the panel and he laid out what they're planning to do. And if you look at their more front-end processes manufacturing on very matured nodes, it's not very advanced or leading nodes where you manufacture a Snapdragon or an NVIDIA AI processor. It's more of 28 nanometer and above. So it's going to be more 40 nanometer or 90 nanometers and so forth. So those are also important because if you look at during the pandemic, chip shortage was exactly for the matured nodes because none of the founders invested in matured nodes. They never estimated that there would be so demand for matured nodes. So it's good to have matured node facility in India, a fab which can serve a lot of different applications from industrial IoT to defense, space, and automotive. That would be the 14 nanometer mostly, and 28 is what goes into iPhones and that kind of thing. Yeah, some part of 28 nanometer now goes into TVs or smartphones, but smartphones, most of the big processors are very advanced nodes, which is 5 nanometer or Apple's new processor could be 3 nanometer this year. Right. Of course, TVs are getting smarter and smarter as we <laughs> Okay. So now we also heard about a Google Pixel announcement uh, saying that uh, they want to come and manufacture in India. So to go to the smartphone manufacturing ecosystem, can you tell us where we are in that space or that world right now? So smartphone manufacturing, we are quite ahead since we started the policy of making India in 2015-16 with the new government and then fast forward to more PLI schemes, production link incentive schemes a few years ago. We have, as we discussed last time, we moved from a semi-knockdown unit to completely knockdown unit manufacturing, where we actually take the bare PCBs and using robotic machines mount the chip, which is a very high level manufacturing, right? So 90% of the phones are manufactured in CKD and bigger players like Apple, right, which have sophisticated manufacturing, they are also moving most of their CKD level manufacturing to India now. So with respect to Google, so Google is... Not a new kid on the block, but still it's a new kid on the block because it has ambition to have more vertical play like Apple. But Google's strategy is more of showcasing the best possible Android device in the market, right? The flagship, because most of its partners like Samsung, Xiaomi, or Vivo, Oppo, they use Android, but most of their phones are one generation older in terms of Android, or at least six or seven months lag behind the vanilla Android 14, and they are on Android 13 or something like that, right? So what Google is trying to do with Pixel is expand to more strategic countries like doing well in US, Japan, parts of Western Europe and a little bit in Asia and now moving to India which is the biggest Android market, right? They want to get into the game early like what Apple is trying to do now as a premiumization of the smartphone. So now uh, they cannot completely, I would say, import the complete unit because there will be a duty, right? So now they have to find partners once they scale to manufacture their phones here. And that is where Google is also getting into the bandwagon of getting domestic manufacturing, getting help from the EMS partners, potentially US partners. To get it manufactured, alleviate the cost of our devices. So its market share can increase. Right now, its market share is close to 0.6%, less than 1%. However, it anyways targets $300 and above segment, right, which is just 30% of the market. That's interesting. I mean, clearly we can see how, let's say, Google's own plans to expand in India will will determine a lot of other ecosystem changes. Now, chips power many things, as you just mentioned a little while ago. It could be something to do with the Wi-Fi. It could be to do with phones, TVs. 
what else are you seeing in the broader ecosystem applications in terms of electronic manufacturing? Smartphones were the first, and then there was TVs followed by wearables now. So players like Ford, noise are assembling here and not properly manufacturing, but it's more of assembling. So as more PLI schemes get on for the wearables ecosystem, the wearables would be the next. So smartwatches, earbuds, and then you have other accessories. The power banks are already assembled here, for example, right? And then you have other accessories like smart speakers, which could be manufactured here, assembled here. Uh, right now, they are not. So government is going it in phases, depending on the value addition it can do to the economy and applying different duties and policy structure for different categories. PCs is another market. Servers is another big market, which is booming in India. Data centers are booming, as you know, like many of the real estate players have got into building data centers, right? Here and Dani, for example, as you know. And building our own server in India or assembling to start with would be a good step because it's a high value product. Right. Last question, Neil. So in the hierarchy of value addition, I mean, this is constantly being debated uh, in terms of what is the value that's being added here in India at this point? Where do we stand in electronics? If you look at from more hardware manufacturing point of view, I would say anywhere between 13 to 17% for smartphones, which is a benchmark for the industry. But I would say the indirect contribution, as I said, manufacturing, designing and developing software for different chipsets, which are also a good percentage of the block materials cost. So I would say we, we could be close to 20% in terms of value addition here. If you compare with China, China is close to 35 to 40%. Vietnam is also in between China and India with respect to value addition. But China is the highest. And obviously, if you manufacture in Taiwan, then it would be even higher. But we don't manufacture in Taiwan because Taiwan doesn't have that space. Only chips are manufactured. Right, Neil. Thank you so much for uh, your thoughts and joining me. Yeah, thank you very much. And the markets continue their run. You might yawn now, but every time or every day, the stock markets hit a record high. I reckon one must document it. Yesterday, I touched upon how foreign portfolio investors are switching away from markets like China into India. Now, this is not new in itself, but there seems to have been a tipping point of sorts amidst perhaps several other tipping points. So, indices hit fresh record highs on Thursday. The BSE Sensex touched a new lifetime high of 65,833 intraday before ending the session at 65,786. That's up 340 points. And the value of the stocks also hitting new highs with the market capitalization of all BSE-listed companies touched 302 trillion rupees or 302 lakh crore rupees. The Nifty 50, by the way, hit a new peak of 19,512 and closed 99 points higher at 19,497. And hmm, India's tax department goes after IVF clinics. What could that mean? India's tax department and officials are today better equipped than ever to track where money is being spent and how. That's by you and me. Thanks to their ability to examine and get alerted from patterns that either reveal something or don't. What I mean is that the tax department obviously takes note when there are inexplicable spending patterns. Equally, it could start wondering why you are spending too less or earning too less, including as a company, and send you a notice to that effect. Because this could mean that you're converting to cash somewhere along the chain. And this is a real example, by the way. After all, the trajectory for tax collections has to always be upwards, 
or so all tax departments everywhere believe because that's how their targets are with this as the backdrop it's always interesting to see who the tax department is gunning for which in turn reveals two things one that there is more of that activity happening second that this activity is not seeing as much documented income as perhaps it should the times of india is now reporting that the central board of direct taxes has decided to keep close tabs on transactions done at in vitro fertilization or ivf clinics medical colleges providing admission under the non resident indian quota hospitals hotels banquets and sellers of designer clothing watches and luxury brands many of these seem logical like hospitals hotels luxury brands and watches i know with some certainty for example that some of the biggest bulk transactions in high end swiss watches happen ahead of weddings and the wedding season in india in cash of course to come back to patterns it's interesting to see that ivf clinics stand out a quick definition the mayo clinic says in vitro fertilization is a complex series of procedures used to help with fertility or prevent genetic problems and assist with the conception of a child it also says that ivf is the most effective form of assisted reproductive technology now if this were a case of income not being reported accurately as opposed to the quantum of business or consultations going up this would suggest to me that india is facing a fertility challenge at least in some segments of the populace anyway in the last year apparently some 78 million income tax returns were filed in contrast to 73 million the previous year now more returns being filed does not necessarily mean more taxes but it's a good trend nevertheless now speaking about rising incomes bangalore headquartered realty firm purvankara said on thursday that its sales bookings jumped over twofold or twice to 1126 crores in the first quarter of this fiscal on better housing demand and higher price realizations notably the company said this was its highest or best ever performance for a quarter of course purvankara could be benefiting from a different cycle than other realtors or is benefiting from higher prices from more or more premium properties which all came together somewhat suddenly either way india's real estate market is still holding strong and is borne out by figures elsewhere too in general residential units above 1 crore rupees now account for nearly 30% of market share of sales consulting firm night frank said just the day before another indicator of the higher values in sales numbers second is that overall residential sales volumes are at 9 and 10 year highs in some parts of the country A competitor to Twitter is finally here. Meanwhile, if you're one of those who's either bored, tired, or just fed up with Twitter and Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg has an alternative with Meta Threads, an Instagram offshoot which looks very similar to Twitter. Meta is now saying that they've already got 10 million subscribers in hours, which is most likely the fastest such sign-up for a platform. But also, many who would have wandered in from Instagram, which has some 2 billion active users every month. Twitter by the way has 450 million users. Threads was launched in 100 countries on Thursday morning and has already seen sign-ups from celebrities like Kim Kardashian and Jennifer Lopez. Let's do this. Welcome to Threads. Zuckerberg wrote in his first post on the app along with a fire emoji. And before I go, let's speak to Dr. Nandita Iyer, writer of the CEO's diet on www.thecore.in which is where we are. This week she talks about breakfasts and she joins me to talk about the significance of breakfast in our lives and particularly in our busy lives. 
So I think if you do eat breakfast and it is a part of your morning routine, then the biggest significance is that it is the first chance you get in the day to fuel your body in the right way. So we should not misuse this opportunity by eating junk food and processed food first thing in the morning. Uh, so I think important macros and micros like your proteins, your healthy fats, your complex carbs, a dose of vitamins and minerals that comes from eating the seasonal vegetables and fruits. So treat this as an opportunity to fuel your body right. I think that is the most important significance of breakfast. So for the busy individual, I think if they do eat eggs, then eggs are your best friend. They're super versatile and it's quick to make. Even if you eat eggs every single day, there's a different way you can prepare it every day and not get bored of it. And if you're super, super rushed for time, then even hard-boiled eggs can be kept in the fridge and just cut, peeled and, you know, halved and put some salt and pepper and you can have it. So I think if someone does eat eggs, then they are a great option. The second option, I would say, is overnight oats. But uh, here, there are a couple of things to remember. Now, oats, although considered like a super healthy ingredient and all that, it is, after all, carbs. And by just eating oats alone, you're not going to get your protein or healthy fats into the breakfast. So that just becomes a carb overload, especially if you're having it with sugar and other fruits and everything, which people do tend to eat it that way. So I think a couple of things to remember is that overnight oats is a very easy thing. You can just mix rolled oats with uh, either milk or yogurt and keep it in the fridge in a bottle overnight. So it will just get soaked up and it needs no cooking and it does not turn slimy also. So some people who don't like the cooked slimy texture of oats, this is a good option. And in the morning, you can add like a dose of chia seeds or flax seeds. So these not just add protein, they add fiber, they add uh, healthy fats to the oats. You can also make it a bit savory like, you know, you can even do like a small tadka like upma. You just add some mustard seeds and chilies and add some yogurt to it it becomes like a bowl of curd rice of course you've already soaked it in yogurt then you can just add some salt and take it the savory way you know you can add a bit of avocado again healthy fats keeps it savory without adding extra carbs or sugar try to take it the savory way and try to combine it with a protein and a healthy fat to keep it balanced so overnight oats is another good idea and any of the Indian breakfasts like if you have like a dosa batter at home, any of these work, but then try to add some component of a protein to your idlis and dosas. Because once you have the batter, these are very quick breakfasts to make. But make sure that you add some yogurt, like a cup of dahi or an egg or something to it so that there is some balance. Because a lot of our Indian breakfasts, as delicious as they are, they tend to be very carb heavy and that's not the you know, perfect way to start your day. Do read the whole article by Dr. Ayer on thecore.in and have a wonderful weekend ahead and see you Monday. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. 
Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.